The reading this morning can be found on X9, reading from verse 1 to 25, and can be found on page 1100 on the Bibles in front of you. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias replied, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was this conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Good morning, everyone. Well, it is an exciting day. It's been a fantastic week. If you missed the celebration dinner, you missed, I think, a wonderful night. Uh, we had a fantastic time hearing some great stories and just being together. It was a truly wonderful night of celebration. We've got a great day ahead, and there's quite a few things to 
do, there's things happening and if I can just uh, put a reminder up on the screen, the baptism is on at 12.30 and if you're getting baptised you need to be down there at 12, I'll meet you there, Uh, I'll be in my t-shirt and board shorts, very excited and ready and uh, we've got nearly 20 people who are getting baptised which is fantastic. Now I want to pray um, and just commit our morning to God. And you might have noticed I'm up a bit earlier than normal. We're actually trying to run the service shorter because at the end of it, uh, we've got a different ending, uh, which is going to involve you uh, being photographed, if you want to, uh, in terms of what you're bringing to the renewed vision of growing God's church through the gospel. So let's pray uh, and we're going to get moving. Father, thank you that we can be here today. I pray it's a wonderful day for all sorts of reasons as people give financially and generously as people commit to what they are bringing to this renewed vision of growing the church through the gospel. And Father, as we hear this wonderful story about the transformation of Saul into your Apostle Paul, and Father, touch our hearts and minds today, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Well, this is the last week in the series of Growing God's Church Through the Gospel. And we've been on a journey looking at what that vision means and in particular over the last few weeks looking at the core values for the church and we saw that they encapsulate the Bible and prayer, community, service. We stopped last week uh, to reflect on the cost of gospel ministry that it actually does impact us and to serve the Lord Jesus in the world does come at a cost. Today we're looking at the final story uh, that we're looking at in the book of Acts. It's not the end of the book of Acts, but where we're coming to, Acts chapter 9, and we're looking at the core value of transformation. And there's no doubt when you come to the Christian faith and think about this concept, you realise it's really at the heart of what it means to be a Christian. And profoundly and deeply in the Christian message is it's a message of hope that people can be changed, In quite profound ways, in fact, I would say in ways that no one else or nothing else in this world offers. And when you read through the Bible, it speaks at the very heart of these sorts of changes that can take place in a person when they encounter the risen Lord Jesus and his grace and love for them. The Bible talks about us going from being spiritually dead to actually coming alive, from having hearts of stone to ones that are actually tender before God, from running away from God to actually running into the arms of our loving Heavenly Father, from being racist and excluding of people to loving all people and inclusive, from being miserly and tight-fisted when it comes to resources and finances to actually being generous and giving in a way that's profound from being cold and hard to actually warm and caring, from being bitter and twisted to actually finding peace in life with God and with others. The gospel says we can go from being anxious and worrying to actually calm and trusting, from being controlled by addictions to actually being freed from them and freed to worship the living God from being uncertain of eternal realities to assured of our reception of eternal life. Now, I can keep going on, but uh, they're just the different ways that came to my mind when you think about transformation. And you see, it's wonderful news because what the gospel says is that there is no one who can be without hope. And we actually offer hope to people 
in the most profound ways and we offer the hope of change and transformation. And as a core value, we want to be that sort of people, people who are transformed and changed by the gospel. You see, the gospel grows God's church. It brings people in. Uh, The gospel is founded upon the word and prayer. It calls people into community. It changes us so that we serve. You see, at the very heart, the gospel is this transforming power that is at work in our lives. And today we stop and think about, I think, one of the most famous and significant stories in all of Scripture. Now, the most famous story, which is the story that all the Bible is about, is the Lord Jesus, okay? Now, just take that story out as a given. I mean, there's four books about it. Of all the other stories, this really is one of the most profound. And no doubt in the New Testament, it is the second most important story. I don't know if you know this, but it's actually recorded three times in the book of Acts. Here in chapter 9, then later on in chapters 22 through to 26, it's recounted another two times. In other words, just so you know the significance of it. Uh, When Paul wrote his letters, much of what he writes about, there's reflections of his conversion that happens here, both directly and indirectly, and we're going to see some of those references today. Our language has been transformed. Now, you've heard the phrase, to see the light. People familiar with that phrase? Well, guess where it comes from? This story. To have a Damascus Road experience is to what? To have your whole life turned around. It comes from this story. Because it's this profound story which gives you in one story the wonder of the gospel. The power of the gospel. It shows you what the gospel is. And it's all about the way a man who is called Saul and is a Pharisee is transformed into the Apostle Paul who is the preacher amongst preachers in the church. So let's have a look at Saul. Now, if you've got your Bibles there, open up. And I'm going to pick up from chapter 8, where Scott finished last week, because that's the first time you meet Saul in Scripture. And it's not the most charming reference. Stephen has just been stoned. He's the first Christian martyr. And these words are recorded in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of their killing him. He was there giving his assent to it as a leading Pharisee of the day and religious leader. And then in Acts chapter 8 verse 3 it says, Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so who was this man Saul? It's worth saying a couple of things. Firstly, he's a very learned and cultural man. He was born in Tarsus. You might not know where that is. Uh, It's modern-day Turkey on the coast. Uh, Because he was born there, he also meant he was a citizen of Rome. And so he's got Roman citizenry. He's a member, if I can say, of Tarsus. Uh, From a very early age, uh, there were very strong religious inclinations in him and a great passion for the things of God, uh, born into a Jewish family. And he went down to Jerusalem to train as a Pharisee under the great Pharisee Gamaliel. Now, we know of Gamaliel through extra-biblical records, but he's also featured in this story of the book of Acts in Acts chapter 5, amongst other places. And so he's this very learned cultural man. He would have been fluent in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, and most likely Latin. He's an international man. And it's no wonder he's the man that God picks to take the gospel internationally. 
But he's also a very passionate religious man. And if you want the most succinct summary that describes him, it's in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, where he reflects back on who he was. I'll read it to you. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, he is pure blood. And in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. In other words, I was very zealous for keeping the law. As for zeal, well, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness based on the law, he said I was faultless. In other words, he was the Pharisee par Pharisee, par excellent. With this incredible passion for God, but this incredible, you would want to say, hatred of Christians. And the word he most uses to describe himself in his former life in the letters is he says, I was the persecutor of the church. But the other thing to note is he was blind. And he was blind to who Jesus was. And because of that, he persecuted Christians. And I don't think it was because they threatened the Mosaic law and the traditions of Judaism. Because, you see, within his teachings and understandings of Pharisee, he would have known, and they spoke of a time that was to come, when the traditions of Moses and kind of the Old Testament would fade away in this new age. And that age was when the Messiah would come. And he longed for the Messiah to come. And the age of resurrection. Now what got up his nose was that the early disciples were proclaiming that this Jesus was the Messiah. Who they believed was risen from the dead. And you see that was an anathema to Paul or Saul sorry. Because you see I suspect strongly because he was raised in Jerusalem under Gamaliel as a Pharisee. He would have known of the ministry of the Lord Jesus everyone knew and I suspect he was there on the day he was crucified and I'm sure pleased about it that this imposter was now being put away and crucifixion to die that way as a Jew meant you were cursed by God and here is this man cursed by God being proclaimed as Messiah now it's interesting Gamaliel his teacher in Acts chapter 5 said of this movement just leave them alone. If it's of God, you won't be able to stand against it. Prophetic words they were. Well, that's not Paul. No, this new thing they're proclaiming is actually incompatible. Get rid of it. And we pick up the story at Acts chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the sinners in Damascus, synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as we start this chapter, the thing that strikes you is Paul, or Saul, sorry, is blind to the light. And in that day, there was an agreement between Rome and the Jews which involved an international extradition treaty. Now, we have similar things today. And that was in play in Israel. And they legally could write or appeal to the high priest if there were people who had broken the law according to their Jewish customs and have them extradited back if they were of Jewish origin from Jerusalem. And so Paul takes up that legal right. He sees the high priest 
And he goes out to pursue the Christians who have fled to bring them back and put them in jail. Letters are signed, off he goes. And you see, he viewed Christians as not just misguided enthusiasts, but deliberate imposters. And he was blind to the light of the gospel. It's interesting when you read some of his letters and you reflect on his conversion. I'm going to read to you this one from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And it's fascinating the way he describes the coming of the gospel. He said, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Now you wonder how he dreamt that verse up. (laughs) You see, he knew after the event how blind he was to the light of the gospel that displayed the glory of Christ because you see the thing that he was blind to was this it was who Jesus was and there's many ways the Bible describes us as being out of relationship with God it's what we call sin and sin is if I can say the way we don't want God to be in charge our rebellion it can be our ignorance that we don't understand God it can be the way that we break God's rules But another way the Bible talks about is that we are blind. We don't understand, we can't see God for who he truly is. And that's what Paul was. He was blind to the glory of Jesus. He knew about Jesus, absolutely. And most people in our Western culture know something about Jesus. What they're blind to is his glory about who he really is, risen from the grave, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Well, what happens? Well, he sees the light. Verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men travelling with stall stood there speechless. They heard the sound but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground but when he opened his eyes he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now the conversion is recorded in just a few short verses but there's a number of key things that happen and I want to take us through them. Firstly, he sees the light. And it's where that famous phrase comes, to see the light. And when I say he sees the light, he is blinded by the light. He's overwhelmed by it. And you see, what he's overwhelmed by is the brilliance of Jesus. He's only ever known him as just a man who walked the dusty streets and shores of Israel. Now he's confronted with him in his resurrected glory. And let me say, if any of us were to be confronted by that, we would be blinded by his brilliance too. It's so overwhelming. And if you want a picture of that, have a look at Revelation chapter 1, where the resurrected Jesus, in all of his heavenly glory, comes in a vision to the Apostle John and gives him the revelation. It is blinding, it's overwhelming. He sees the light. Secondly, he's brought to his knees. And it's records there in verse 4, he fell to the ground. 
And you see, when you see the brilliance of Jesus, that is the only appropriate posture. When people are confronted by God, one of the things they're confronted by is not just who God is, but actually who you are. And you don't really understand yourself truly until you see yourself in relation to the risen, glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And it's at that moment that you're confronted with actually who you are and your weakness and your frailty and your sin. And whenever you see people confronted with the living God in Scripture, uh, they're not standing there shaking their fist at him saying, yeah, I'm going to take you on. No, they are on bended knee. And you think about the hymn that Paul writes, or maybe was written before that he records in Philippians chapter 2. And he speaks of the glory of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, that even though he was humbled, even unto death, death on a cross, God raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name. And it says what? Every knee shall bow. And Paul's transformation began with him being blinded by the light and seeing this brilliance and then bowing the knee and realising he's in the presence of greatness. And thirdly, he hears Jesus speak. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And I want you to think about what happens here because it really is at the heart of the profundity of the gospel you've got here the Lord Jesus Christ who's risen from the dead who runs this world and you've got before him the one who is the greatest persecutor of him and his people Saul Saul why do you persecute me and I want you to hear the words of grace and love that flow why are you doing this Saul And without using these words, but they are the essence of his words, he says, come and follow me. Not, you're in trouble. (laughs) I'm going to sort you out. But actually, no, come. You're going to go to Damascus and this is what's going to happen to you and you're going to take my name to the world. It's the word, come and follow. And he says it to his greatest enemy. And you see, this is why this story encapsulates the gospel so powerfully. The one who was most against the Lord Jesus in history is called to be his greatest advocate. And the words that Jesus echoed on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, could have been looked straight at Paul that day. Father, forgive him, he doesn't know what he's doing. And Paul gets up, blinded by the experience, and goes into Damascus, where he's prayed for. And I want to say to you, friends, this morning, this is the gospel. It's a message of hope that you can be changed and transformed. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. That's John 3, 17. And friends, God is not here to condemn you, but to save you and transform you. 
and to continue to work in all of us, transforming all of us. What we need to do is see the brilliance of the risen Lord Jesus who has died on the cross for us. We need to be brought to our knees in humility, aware of our sin and confessing it to him. And we need to hear him speak to us saying, come and follow and to hear his voice and to respond with faith and repentance. That's how transformation takes place. And what happens is the most brilliant transformation in all of history. You see Paul go from being blind to the light to now shining the light. Ananias is given instructions in verses 10 to 16 and then he does this, verse 17. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may again see and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength and his conversion is complete. He is now filled with the Spirit, confessing Christ and baptized. And it's worth just taking note about the baptism, seeing we're doing it this day. Um, You don't have to grow to maturity to be baptized. Man, they just led him to Christ and put him in and put him under. And they raised them up and said, off you go, you're now serving Christ. And they sorted their lives out subsequently. And that's what we're going to be doing down at the harbour. And I joked with them, the bigger the sinner, the longer I'm going to hold them down. Because it's actually an experience of death. And that's what baptism communicates. You have died to this old way of life. But of course, we raise them up to new life in Christ. And that's what happened with Saul. He was raised to life. And we read on that Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Can you imagine being one of the disciples there? And you think, is he really converted? (laughs) I mean, you, you would be wondering it, wouldn't you? You think, really? But verse 20 confirmed that at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them to be prisoners to the chief priests? Well, of course, that was what he planned to, but it's not what happened. And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. His transformation was complete and the great persecutor of the church is now the great preacher of the gospel. It's incredible. And there's two powerful things we learn from this story that I want to bring to us today as we think about transformation being a core value for us. The first is this. It's fundamental to us as a church and as Christians that we be transformed. That's what the gospel does. It changes us. And we are not called to just have this intellectual assent where we believe ideas about God and have, have this kind of nice view of morality. No, we're called to encounter the risen Jesus in the power of his spirit and be changed by him and to shine his light that's what it means to be Christian you receive Christ you receive his spirit and you shine his light in whatever way you can and as Saul became Paul same person there's a different identity 
And that's what it means to be Christian. I'm not who I once was. And it's worth, if I can say this, using the metaphor of blindness and seeing. There is no doubt some people, it's like the lights just turn on. And the conversion is dramatic. It's like they're in the dark and all of a sudden they're walking in the light and they're going, wow. For others, it's like there's a dimmer switch where you were in the dark and slowly the light comes on. Now, how you get to walk in the light, whether it's the lights just come on sharply or whether there's a dimmer switch which slowly turns on, that's irrelevant. What's significant, what's important is, are you in the light? Have you seen the light? Have you been transformed by the light? The light of the risen Lord Jesus in the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the important question. And if you haven't, I would encourage you, look to Jesus and ask him to open your eyes so that you might see his glory and see all that he's done for you in his death and resurrection. And pray that he will speak to you those words, come follow me. Transformation is fundamental to being a Christian. We need to be a transformed church if we're to grow God's church through the gospel. But secondly, and most wonderfully, this story, above every other story in the Bible, communicates there is no one too far away from God. There is no one too blind. There is no one too addicted. There is no one too broken. There is no one too anxious. There was no one too sinful. There was no one who was too far away. Because Paul, Saul, was all of those. And yet God in his mercy called him to come and he came and he was changed and he was made alive in Christ. And friends, that is wonderful news for all of us. And if you're here today and you don't know God, I just want to say to you, there is a God who loves you and calls you to come to him. And he wants you to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because friends, that's what we're on about, being transformed by the risen Lord Jesus. I'm going to stop here and I just want us to stop and pray and reflect on this story in our lives and being transformed and then we're going to think about how we wrap up this series with Commitment Day. So let's just stop and think about the transformation that the risen Lord Jesus offers us in the power of his spirit. And if you need to come to him today, I would encourage you, pray to him right now and call out on his name. Heavenly Father, I pray for all of us that we would be transformed by the Lord Jesus, risen from the dead. That your spirit would work powerfully in us so that we know you. Your word would be alive in our hearts and minds so that we hear you speaking to us. And every day we'd hear those words, come follow, and we would follow faithfully and joyfully. And that you would change us into people that display your glory and become more like the Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.